Hey everyone, welcome to Tales from the Pros. And this is Michael Giorgio, your host and co-founder of Imagine Ovation. My special guest with me here today is a SaaS pioneer that was recently named Inside Sales Sales Development Thought Leader of the Year, serial entrepreneur, and co-founder of Outbound Works, which automates the sales development process for B2B companies. This is Tales from the Pros, where business leaders and influencers share their stories of inspiration, struggles, and successes. And I'm your host, Michael Giorgio. Please welcome Ben Sardella. Ben, it's great having you here today, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited for this. Yeah, I know I know. we've been trying to connect, and uh, I know we're all super busy, man. So, so thanks again. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Yeah. So Ben, just kind of kick things off. First, first off, uh, you know, I really love your product and what it does and who you guys are and how you started and, and, and all that. And, and I want to learn more about that, but first kind of tell me more about your entrepreneurial journey and, 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 and your story. Yeah. So I had the fortune of uh, finding myself in a, in a bar in San Francisco during my spring break on my senior year, I, I went to Boston University and came out here to San Francisco with my roommate. And um, and about midway through the evening, everyone at the bar knew I was Ben from Boston. And um, and my roommate's aunt and uh, and her roommate were there. And um, her roommate was the head of sales, marketing, and business development at NetLedger, which which became NetSuite. And um, she looked at me that night and said, I need someone like you to come work for me. And, uh, and I said, oh, you're crazy. I'm never moving to California. I'm a Boston boy born and, and bred. <laughs> and, um, you know, and and uh, I said, I got a job at Fidelity lined up when I graduate. And she said, how much are they going to pay you? And then I, I told her, she said, I'll double it and give you stock options. And I said, well, hey, I'll come out to California for six months, see how this works. Um, you know, see what happens. And um, six years later, I had uh, opened up NetSuite UK in Toronto offices. I had a great run. I, I had been the all-time leading sales rep there for uh, you know a number of years, and um, and you know they went on to have a really successful IPO, and that was the launch of my career. So I got really lucky there. Um, but I realized something pretty quickly that uh, if you're not sort of very early on and well established in your career, and those two things combined with all the luck needed to uh, be a part of a, a rocket ship or a, or a unicorn or whatever they call them nowadays, then you're probably not going to have a, the type of outcome that will be uh, life altering, so to speak, and financially. And so I said, well, you know what? I, I want to do two things. One, I want to have that happen. And two, I want to make a difference in this space. And so I, I sort of started to go down the path of uh, moving up the ladder as well as um, really starting to think of ideas on how to start a company and, and, and getting that um, access to entrepreneurs that are successful at it. Um, that culminated into my first VP of sales gig at Kiss Metrics, where I got to work with Heaton Shah and Neil Patel, which are, you know, very famous in the um, technology entrepreneur scene. Um, oh, yeah. You know, really got to work with them, you know, next to them for a couple of years, see what they were doing. And while I was there, um, I, uh, I met my co-founder from Datanize and, um, and so we had taken Datanize and, um, and then, um, sort of incubated it within, well, not incubated, but, uh, you know, sort of tested it out within my sales team to see if this would work, um, in the real world. And it did. And I ended up, 
uh, eventually peeling off from Kiss and and going full time into Datanize from there. And um, you know, Datanize, we we really focused on technographics, who was using what technology, really introducing that into the into the sales stack for um, you know technology sales folks and. Over time, we had 50,000, 60,000 sales development reps using the tools we built, and Datanize was just acquired uh, recently by Zoom Info. So it was a you know, positive experience. But out of that was when I, I really found uh, the next challenge, which was um, you know, going and building Outbound Works, which I'm, I'm, I'm all in on now. That's cool. So you kind of combine your experience of, of just sales and with, with data, right? And that's how you kind of came up with um with outbound works and, and and tell us a little bit about outbound works what what was the main reason behind outbound works did you guys you felt there were some some gray areas within the the sales cycle sales development how did that kind of come about even even more than that you know i i had sort of a an interesting perspective being at data as we had you know again we had 50 60,000 folks using the tools we built and we were just seeing an unbelievable amount of uh user turnover migration. And, and what I mean by that is users would leave and come back um, and they would have different aliases and you can map them to the same social profiles and see there were a lot of the same people that were coming and going. But um, but this was happening at such an amazing pace. And I had just this really good bird's eye view of, of user data at, at, from that perspective. And then at the same time, I had my own sales development team of 10 to 15 reps uh, I was seeing a you know a couple of classes come in and out as we would promote and hire up or you know make changes and and new folks coming in and and the first class was phenomenal um, you know they all found great spots in our company out of sales development whether it was marketing or customer success or sales or leadership um, but as we started to bring in more and more things started to change a little bit and I wasn't sure if it was just us and what we were doing or things that you know we we had failed to do some things and. Um, so I had those two perspectives and then I ended up polling a bunch of sales leaders I know, and I got back hundreds of results from the polls I did. And, uh, and, and that combined with research I started to do made me realize, well, wait, uh, you know, the sales development space has grown. LinkedIn has as their third fastest growing job market as of 2017, 5.7 X. Um, so a massively growing market where all of these tools are being introduced. So the cost to manage those teams are skyrocketing. Um, and attrition all of a sudden is now at an all-time high, somewhere around 40%. Um, when you have a market that grows that fast, basically all the talent washes up and you're bringing in only folks just from college. So it's really normal to mishire. Um, and the other side of it is if you hire perfectly, uh, those folks don't want to be in that role after 12 months. So here you are with a massive problem that's only getting bigger and bigger. Um, technology is now you know, at the point where a lot of what these folks are doing can actually be automated. And at the same time, um, there weren't really any other options out there to solve for this. The only other option was outsourcing. And 100% of the folks I polled had problems with outsourcing in the past. I personally had uh, multiple negative experiences with outsourcing sales development. And so that was kind of my aha moment. And I think for every entrepreneur, you need that moment to say, look, is everything coming together here where, um, you know, I can influence some of it, but the market's actually doing most of the influencing and timing's right. And when all those things come together um, and then you can build the right team around that and the right technology, then that's that's that moment when you say, hey, I got to go for this. And that's that's what I did with Alpine Works. That's awesome. So, you know, that's the thing. It's I, I really love what you guys are doing because 
I mean, I've, I've managed sales reps as well. And, and, and with sales reps, like you mentioned, it's kind of, it's not essentially the, nothing against them at all. You know, I know I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, they're, these guys are hard. I mean, a lot of them are, they can be really hard workers and, and very intelligent. And, and um, there's a, there's a lot of grind to the job, but the thing is, is that it's not really a long-term, no one's going to be a sales rep for a long time type of thing, right? They're always trying to, to move up, right? Into like, a, into like an account executive and all that. It, it kind of, am I kind of heading the right direction here, right? So the thing is with them is that yep. there's going to be essentially a lot of, could be a lot of turnover um, with, with those kinds of jobs. So you guys are really solving that problem and automating it and really allowing sales teams to focus on what is, is, most important, right, is really closing the deal and building those relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the, the key is how do you do that, but do it in a high quality way? Um, I think the problem that we've had now in sales development for quite some time is that, um, one, a lot of great tools have been built and brought into the market now. I mean, you've got your outreach IOs, you've got your sales lofts, you've got you know, all these great data tools that are out there now. Um, there's there's tools that essentially do all the calendaring for you, Chili Piper or Calendly. And, you know, there's all kinds of things that are out there right. optimizing at different, you know, various points of the process. Um, but what they've optimized for is um, to do things in mass. And what where we've fallen short is how do we do things in a high quality way in mass? And that's what we've been able to, uh, to, to I'm, I won't say master, but that's what we've been focusing on. So we have uh, the ability to essentially personalize at scale. And, um, and when you do that, um, one, we focus really hardcore on the ideal customer profile and the key personas of our customers. So we don't waste time trying to engage folks that aren't going to be the perfect customer for them anyways. And then from there, we only source the right type of data to make sure it's accurate. So we're not wasting a lot of time sending emails that are never going to get delivered in the first place. Um, and then we focus on the messaging side of it and make sure that, um, one, the messaging is cohesive and it's it's not you know too much to read. It's not too little to not get what they're doing, but it, it fits that middle ground. And then our personalization engine takes over and we are able to map for every AE that we support. So we're not an Iron Man suit to turn an SDR into a superhero. We're supporting the AE directly. And, um, and so when we send an email on behalf of an AE to their future customer, our system automatically finds all the common connections between that AE and that recipient. And then we're able to reference that connection and drop that into the opening line of an email uh, to that recipient. So when a recipient gets this, they say, oh, look. This person knows someone I know, they went to the same school, they're from the same town, they worked at the same place I worked at. All those things that are highly personalized that would take an SDR 20 minutes or so to research and write. And the reality is they're not going to do that when you put these ridiculous volume goals uh, you know, in front of them. It's just not Especially possible. Especially at a mass. <laughs> exactly. So we're able to do that in mass. And I think that's the key is how do you then take this automation and, and do these things at scale, but do it in a highly personalized way? And whether it's us or some other companies or multiple companies in our space, the companies that figure that out are going to be the ones that are going to have a good story to tell later on in the future. Absolutely. And, and I see, you know, your product is built, also built using AI technology and, you know, and, and machine learning. Well, do you think this, I mean, Ben, do you think this will completely replace you know, essentially completely replace the human sales rep. I mean, where do you think the human sales reps are essentially falling short? 
So I think that where AI and, and machine learning and that sort of thing will inevitably fall short is actually having the conversation and building rapport and having empathy. Um, you know, there's a talk track I've, I've, uh, I've, I've been sort of going down the line with this year because part of, part of what we're doing, of course, is replacing some of the efforts of the humans. And my way to give back is to tell, give them the playbook on how to not be replaced. Um, because I believe in really healthy competition and I also care about the sales community and I want them to thrive. Um, And so I have uh, sort of three, four areas that I say a salesperson should focus on. One is relationships. Um, You know, you're never going to have a relationship with a computer or you shouldn't. (laughs) That would be weird. Um, Second one is, is empathy. Um, And, and, you know, being empathetic at the point where your prospect really needs you and you're really understanding what they're going through and how to address their needs specifically um, in an altruistic way is, again, something that a piece of software is just not going to do. Being adaptable is another thing. Every single sales process, you're going to have to be adaptable as a sales rep. Things are going to come up. There's never a, a point where step one, two, and three, and four and five are done over and over again. There's always it's always yeah. step one, two, five, four, three, you know, and that sort of thing. So you got to be able to do that. And then the other thing, the last thing is, I think the real good folks in sales um, have leadership qualities, and so they're able to sort of take the industry, to take content, take best practices, and they're they're able to drag that um, you know across the finish line and, and and be a leader and have others follow behind them, and your prospects will follow behind you as well if they believe what you're doing. And I think those are the pillars that if a sales rep focuses on, they're not going to be replaced anytime soon by AI and, and that sort of thing. But if you're talking about sending personalized emails, if you're talking about finding the right type of customers. If you're talking about figuring out when someone's in market and you should engage with them and all that stuff, that's all AI's game and you shouldn't be focusing on those things. You should be focusing on the soft skills that won't be replaced anytime soon. I really love, Ben, what you what you just said there uh, a minute ago in regards to em- you know um, empathy and, and leadership. Um, I think the, the, a big problem with, um, and I've been, you know, I've been in sales for a long time as well, as I've, I've noticed this, uh, is essentially a lot of, and I don't think just this goes for salespeople. I think even either, even a lot of other um, uh, positions and in, in companies. But absolutely, yeah. uh, absolutely. I, I think that empathy is not utilized as much as it should. I think a lot of us are so focused on on that dollar, on, on making money and and generating the ROI and um, just closing that deal, and we're not thinking. And this is a very general statement, but we're not thinking really about the feelings of, of these other people and providing that value. And I think with your tool and your product, what you guys are doing is you're solving a huge problem. And that's the thing is that you're, you're eliminating these manual, these manual efforts of us, you know, of of salespeople really just going and sending these emails, doing this grunt work that are like, Oh, I don't want to do this. You know what I mean? Like I actually want to go out there and, 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 get to know people, you know, and sit down with them, have a coffee and get to learn about these people and how I can help them and how they can provide, how they can help me and my company as well. Um, and have that, that advent, that benefit on both ends. Um, and it seems like with your product, you're, you're eliminating a lot of these manual efforts and, and providing that, that automation, which is great, you know, cause I think you, you're, I mean, you're in technology, man. You've, you've been doing this a long time, right. And you're, and I, I know we always get these questions, especially with me and my company that, they would say, oh, but is AI going to replace humans? Is it going to replace human efforts and jobs? And I think we just got to understand that that it's we just have to learn how to adapt. 
Yep. And and with you know, it was like the internet years and years and years ago. Everyone was so scared of the internet arising. They're like, oh my god, the internet, it's gonna be scary. People were even talking about the world ending and stuff. Do you remember those days? I mean, they were just it was crazy, these crazy things happening. (laughs) And I think it's same, we're going through the same change right now with artificial intelligence and machine learning, deep learning. And I think we just have to adapt. And you, with your product, you guys are doing big things. And that's why you're, I mean, it seems like you're, you're receiving, inc- you know, crazy positive engagement and funding. Even you guys just receiving rounds of funding and these investors are seeing the value that you guys are providing to other people and, and just providing this effective automation. Um, and, and I think that's going to, increase opportunities for salespeople to to um basically learn how to to become um better in regards to having conversations with people and building these long-term relationships that's what actually matters in business you know yeah and i think i think the other thing to remember in sales we always place the emphasis on the sales process and and it's unnatural for us to consider the buying process in this regard as well. And so, you know, it's, it's important to remember the buying process, what a customer or a potential customer is going to go through and how they want to be sold to, how they want to buy, um, how they want to experience, um, you know, the selection process and all of that. And it would be naive for us to think it's going to stay the same. And so, you know, if the buying process changes dramatically uh, and buyers are open to being sold through automation and AI and, and only that, and they don't want to engage anymore with, with reps, then that's going to significantly change the outcome of the, the future of salespeople as well. And so it's, it's on us as salespeople to make that experience positive for them, to do it in a, in a way where we put the customer in front of our own goals. And if we do those things and we build great relationships with them and we're delivering value for them, well, you know what? They're going to move on to other jobs in two years and they're going to come back and buy from you again and again. But if we're doing things that are, um, you know, uh, you know, not not with their best intentions in mind and we're just trying to automate everything right out, right away out of the gate and, you know, we're, we're not taking into account um, that there's two sides to this, then we're going to have some backlash and people are going to not want to talk to salespeople ever again. And we're seeing that in some areas. Um, but you know, that's, that's a big part of this as well. Yeah. And and, I mean, your experience, Ben, like, what do you think are some of the biggest, uh, mistakes or even challenges that not only sales reps make, but salespeople in general make when trying to generate qualified leads and, and prospects, like what, what have you kind of experienced even, even just by, um, leveraging data that you've gotten? Yeah, I think there's, I think that there are, you know, there's a, uh, there's a saying that my, my co-founder Brian says that, you know, there's no such thing as a good metric because as soon as it becomes a good one, that's no longer good. And so, (laughs) you know, we, we, um, you know, we focus a lot of attention on some of these metrics that um, really aren't all that important. Look, I, we're in baseball playoff season right now. And, um, you know, it's funny to see batting average is still such a huge metric, but the reality is that actually doesn't, doesn't have a real impact as we've all found through Moneyball and all that stuff that, that it's there, but we all still as a society love batting average. Excuse me. If, if you're a baseball fan, it's still a really important metric to to look at. And, you know, it's similar in sales. When we're talking about things like, oh, I want to see how many emails were opened. Well, you know what? A really uh, 
audacious subject header is going to get a lot of open rates, but it doesn't mean that anyone's going to respond. Um, you could send a really bad offensive email and you're going to get a lot of responses. They're just going to all be negative. So response rate might not actually matter either. So there's all kinds of metrics that we, we've been sort of programmed to follow. Um, and of course, volume being the most notorious one um, that you know, really gets us off the mark of what really matters. And what really matters as salespeople is that we're hitting the goals that we have in front of us, but we're, you know, how we get there is something that isn't being scrutinized enough. And so it's by nature, we say, oh, we need more, right? We're all consumers. We need more. We need more leads. We need, um, you know, we need bigger companies to go sell to. We need to close bigger deals and we need to keep hitting our, our bigger goals that are put in front of us every year. What, what the, the majority of us as salesers don't do is say, how do I increase my conversion rate when I work with these types of companies? What happens, you know, how do I shorten the time frame in which a deal closes? And why, you know, why is that important? Well, you know, if you think about it, if you can shorten your deal size in half, you're only going to need, you're going to need a lot less deals that particular year because a lot of those deals are actually going to fall into the next year. So when you start to look at those types of metrics, you start to optimize for the right type of behavior, which means high quality, putting a lot of emphasis and effort into, um, you know, engaging the right type of customers and, and cutting down the wasted amount of time that we spend as salespeople, which, by the way, is probably 70% of the time salespeople spend is wasted effort. So we're starting to see a little bit of a movement with this in the account-based sort of revolution that's happening, so to speak. You know, I think anybody that's been fairly good at their role over the last couple of decades has always taken an account-based approach, but we're starting to see that happen more and more. And the ability to do that's become easier with, um, you know, with more access to um, real good data and that sort of thing. But, but those are the th areas where I feel like we fall short is really focusing on the right types of metrics, at least the ones that are right now, and, um, and really optimizing for quality and higher levels of, of bigger impacts rather than higher volumes of things that are just you know, going to lead us to wasting a lot more time, uh, everyone's time, our time, as well as the prospect's time. Yeah, and, and, and kind of jumping a little into um, artificial intelligence again and AI, I mean, do you think... Ben, that it can, I know you dabbled, we dabbled a little bit, talked a little bit about this before, uh, but in regards to, do you think that AI can completely replace the effort of just lead generation in general and closing the deal? Or do you still think that there needs a human's personal touch? You know, I think you jumped into this a little bit, but I kind of want to get more into it. Yeah, I think it's important that we break out sales development with sales, right? First, um, so, you know, if we're bringing in the lead and set, going all the way up to the appointment level, um, I do think the majority of that is going to be replaced. If we're talking about working with a prospect in a, you know, middle of the funnel to close, I, I don't think that's going to be replaced anytime soon. Um, these are really important decisions. Um, you know, there's... Um, there's, there's a lot on the line when you make a big, uh, purchasing decision for a piece of software technology or service. Um, so, you know, I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. I do think that AI will support those, both the buyer and the seller, um, to make better decisions and to do that in a, in a much more consolidated way. Um, but when it comes to sales development, I do think a lot of that's actually going to be replaced. Now, the reality is most buyers don't even have phones on their desks anymore. So actually yeah. being able to get someone on the phone and having a conversation at the stage where they're not even sure they want to 
even talk to you or they don't know anything about you or anything like that. Um, I would say that, you know, the phone is not dead, but in, and certainly a lot of folks are saying, Oh, well, phone now is, is back. And, you know, because people get so few calls and they used to, um, but the reality is it's really hard to get someone's cell phone number nowadays. And if they don't have a phone on their desk, how are you going to get a hold of them? And, um, so I think it depends on which market you're talking about, which type of buyer, all those will, will shift. Um, but, uh, but when it comes to email, I think the, the, the time where it will happen will be, and this is what we're focused on um, at our core at Outbound Works, is not just hitting someone with a personalized email and doing that in mass, but hitting someone with a personalized email and only targeting those that are actually in market at the time they're 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 you know they're ready to make a buying decision and that's the thing we're working on now and i think you know when you start engaging companies that are open to actually making a, a decision in the near term on the type of technology or service you have and you're only focused on those what that means for the whole industry that means everybody's getting less email everybody's getting hit you know a, a lot less in volume and so that means the you know, the, the uh, impact that an email will have or, or a Slack message or some other form of communication that hasn't been developed yet will be one of the top things in the next five years. You know, whatever that may be, um, I think those things start to have a, a more significant impact when the overall volume of things we get becomes less and less. And that's going to require a company to, um, you know, a, a process and in in an industry to only target folks when they're actually ready to make a decision on something like this. Yeah, because if you think about it, how many emails do we get that are so untargeted? Yep, <laughs> you know, exactly. you, you receive an email and it's just like, you, you, I'll have competitors sending me emails asking um, whether they, that we want development. I'm like, do you realize that I own a, a development shop with thir over 30 programmers? Did you do for sales development all the time? I'm like, are you kidding me? You want me to use your sales development when we, we do what we do. And the fact that you're sending me this email already tells me your program sucks. <laughs> oh, it's crazy, man. No, it, it's just, yeah, I, I think, I think with, with more targeted and um, personalized um, approach, uh, I, I think it's going to really help. I think just business in general, to be honest, I, I really think it's going to, it's going to eliminate a lot of time wasting and money and resources and, and things that we're just spending so much money on. You know what I mean? As, as you, as an owner of a company, you're, you're hiring people and it's going to, it's going to just eliminate so much of your time. Right. And, and, um, and just, uh, yeah, I think it's going to do wonders, man. So I think what you guys are doing is amazing. And, um, I wish you guys nothing, nothing but the best. I think it's going to do, do great things in the market. So, um, you know, jumping a little bit here, Ben, you know, I, I, I know you, you know, for the research I've done on you, you're, you're a serial entrepreneur. You've, you've owned successful companies and, um, and sold them and, and been in business for, for quite some time. What have been some of your toughest struggles you faced during your journey to now? And, and how did you essentially overcome them? Because we know, that being a, an owner, being an entrepreneur is not easy. Um, everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. Everyone wants to, you know, it's, it's the thing nowadays, right? You live in Silicon, you're, you're in, you're in a, you know, a, a techie area in California, right? So you understand this, what I'm talking about here. Everyone wants to be somebody big. Everyone wants to own something and, and, and cash out and all this, you, you know, mumbo jumbo that you hear about, but there, some of them are, aren't willing to put in the work and grind it out and go through these struggles and obstacles. Yep. Did you 
did you guys face some or you and your team face some really tough tough challenges over the years? Oh, of course. I mean, there's always there's always challenges you're going to face. There's probably too many to even even scratch the surface on the things that are going to happen and based on you know, your company and what you do, it, it can be anything from an internal challenge to challenges with customers to challenges with third parties that you may rely on that um, aren't going to be friendly with you. And and, and you're going to face um, issues with that. But I, you know what, I, I will break it all the way down to something very basic that I don't hear a lot of entrepreneurs uh, really talk about. And one that's was kind of important for me. So, you know, I, 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 Grew up, um, we you know didn't have a ton of money growing up. I paid my own way through college. When I got out of college, I had a ton of debt. Um, I then you know jumped right into a tech career where I was making really good money, but didn't make the conscious decision to pay off all my debt as quickly as possible. I like to have fun and experiences mm -hmm. and travel and all that stuff. And you know once I got to that point where. I was like, yeah, I want to really be an entrepreneur now, and now's now's my time to like go start something. And what I was finding was that my my personal decisions to not pay off all my debt, not personally put myself in a position where I reduced as much potential distractions and stress and that sort of thing out of my life, um, so that I could focus solely on my business and make the right decisions for my career and for my business and for equity purposes and kind of all those things, I was always being anchored by having debt. And um, and so one of the things I decided uh, as we started Outbound Works is the first thing I was going to do is 100% pay off all my debt. So that way I would never worry about, hey, if I get to take a little bit less money uh, because the company actually, you know, needs more money and we need to invest in certain things. And so I can take a cut or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, that for me has been really transformative and it seems so basic and, and silly, but it's actually really, really important. And, and, you know, having, everybody says have like, you know, work-life balance. The reality is that's almost impossible as an entrepreneur. You're going to find yourself answering emails in the middle of the night. You're going to, you know, get up early. You're going to work crazy hours. You're going to have friendships that you don't put any time into for a couple of years. You're going to have family members that don't know if you're where you live and if you're alive or not and all that stuff. It's going to happen. Your mom's going to give you a hard time, um, you know, but, but like if you, you know, so all those things are just going to happen. You can do your best at managing those things. The reality is the business is going to, you know, if you're doing well, you're going to, it's going to take you in lots of different directions. And if you're not doing well, you're going to be stressed out a lot and you're going to be putting a lot of work and effort into it regardless. So my thing would be reduce any um, areas of stress or barriers or anything like that. So something like a debt or anything, you know, that you can imagine, whether it's your living situation, whether it's your, um, your, whatever it may be, um, you know, remove as many of those as possible before you launch a company, because your company will become all consuming. And if you have these other things that are almost immovable, um, they're going to cause really big, they're going to seem a lot bigger than they actually are once you're really in the heat of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I, I think we, I, I mean, I think you, you, <laughs> you, you were pretty direct in your answer. I mean, it's hard to have that work-life balance. I mean, I, I think it's important, but as a, you know, as you're building a company, man, it's, I mean, it, it's like, think about this way, right? You, you talk to these Olympic, Olympic athletes and they make so many sacrifices to get to where they are, right? And when you're trying to leave a legacy and you're trying to do something huge in your life, 
you're going to have to make sacrifices. Um, I'm not saying that never spend time with your family and friends. Of course you need to. I mean, family is the most important thing, but at the same time, it's, it's uh, very important to, to be realistic and set the right expectations mentally um, and understand that it's going to be tough and there's going to be a lot of things that you're going to have to do um, for quite some time to, to, re- to reach that level that you want to reach uh, and achieve your goals and, and, and leave the legacies that you want to leave, you know, and, and I think that's just what it takes. I think you, you hit the spot, man. Um, but yep. so just to kind of close things out, then, you know, I always ask the three hows and I always ask, how do you define failure? How do you define entrepreneurship and how do you define success? So all interviewees have a, you know, some have similar answers, but a lot have had very, very different answers. So I'm kind of curious to see what, what you would say here for failure, entrepreneurship and success. Yeah. I think a lot of people focus on failure is like not achieving their goals. Um, and we're all easily subject to that when, you know, we put these crazy goals in front of us. And as entrepreneurs, we're all probably putting really lofty goals in front of us with the expectation that, hey, even if we fall short, we've still done something pretty amazing. Um, I would I would uh, carve out the aspect that if you fail from hitting your goals, but you learned something and that something you learned is something that can be used in the future, you've actually gained something significant, really, really valuable. And, and probably, you know, as we mature in our careers, uh, you know, those, those problems or those failures become more and more, uh, expensive problems to have, or bigger problems to have, or more strategic problems to have. So, you know, learning those things early on, um, it's, it's good to fail. Like they say all the time, you know, fail, fail early, fail often. Um, but you got to learn from it. And if you fail to learn from it, then that's really where the failure is. And so that's what I would identify as failure. If you get tricked at the same thing twice, or, you know, you go keep going down the same path and didn't learn from that the first time, then that's, that's on you. Um, so that's, that's what I would consider failure. Um, your second one was how do I define success or what, what? Entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship and success. Okay. And success. So entrepreneurship, um, you know, I define as being able to um, find a problem, uh, come up with a solution for that problem and doing it on your own terms. And, um, you know, I, I think that's what we do as entrepreneurs. Um, I don't think you need to be successful to be an entrepreneur. I don't think if you fail at five, six companies, you're, you know, you're not an entrepreneur anymore. Uh, I think it's having the will to, um, you know, find a problem, uh, build a solution around that. And, and then, you know, again, do it on your own terms, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, you decide you want to go raise a ton of money and try to build as big of a company as you can, or whether you want to keep a bootstrapped profitable company and, um, you know, sort of run it really small and lean. Um, I think, you know, that's, that's what, what, where it's at its essence and success to me. Um, I'll keep it, you know, business wise. I mean, we all have personal successes and we, you know, that's, that's for someone else to decide what theirs is on, on a personal front. Um, I would say that I've had challenges uh, sort of um, keeping those separate. So, you know, I've got to be successful business-wise to be successful personally. And I'm starting to be mature enough to actually separate those and, and keep those uh, in their own worlds. But um, from a business perspective, I, I, I see success as making your customers successful. And if you do that, 
um, then you know what everything else falls into place. If you're out there and you're you're building something, and all of a sudden customers are realizing real value out of it, and they're really happy, um, what's going to happen in return? Your business is going to grow. You're going to be able to hire more people. You're going to be able to grow more careers. You're going to be able to build really great relationships, and you know, and, and continue to build value along the way. So that's the way I see it. Selfless approach. That's how it should be, right? Yep. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Ben. I really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing all that with us. And and uh, where can everyone find you? Sure. So find me on LinkedIn, um, Ben Sardella. I'm one of the only ones up there. I should should pop up to the top. Um, on Twitter, at uh, Ben Sardella. And you can go check out our website, outboundworks.com. Perfect, man. Thank you very much, Ben, for, uh, for sharing your story with us. I'm very thankful. And uh, I know you're a super busy guy, man. So really, really, really appreciate your time. No problem. It was fun. Thank you. Cool. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. And this is your host, Michael Giorgio on Tales from the Pros. And until next time.